You're listening to Fresh Ideas for Teaching. Hi, everyone. This is Walter. The Fresh Ideas for Teaching podcast is presented by Savas Learning Company. I'm here with my colleague, Jeanette Collins, National K-12 Mathematics Manager. Jeanette, who do we have as our special guest today? Hello, Walter. I'm here with math author and expert Graham Fletcher. Mr. Fletcher has served in education as a classroom teacher, math instructional lead, and currently as a math specialist. A passionate advocate for best practices in math education, his work with math progressions and problem-based lessons has led him to present at conferences across the world. Mr. Fletcher is always seeking new and innovative ways to support students and teachers in their development of conceptual understanding. We're honored that Mr. Fletcher is a contributing author on our new Experience Math program. Graham, thanks so much for joining us today. Yes, absolutely. Excited to be here and uh, just have a little chat about math and keep uh, spreading the math goodness. We're honored to have you on the show today. I'd like to kick things off by delving into math fluency. So here's my first question. What can educators do differently or improve upon when it comes to teaching math fluency? Wow. Okay. So uh, swinging for the fences right on the get-go there. Um, I think one of the biggest things I think about my journey as an educator and just how I've uh, how I've improved and and my craft over the years is thinking about how we frame what fluency is. Like, what is fluency, and how do we define fluency? And and I think about how like when we think about we always think about speed. So if we take what we know about in in the reading world when we think about fluency, where uh, as a third grade teacher of of nine years we'd have kids that would need to be able to read 120 words by the end of the minute, by the end of a minute. And and we would have kids who could read like 180 words in a minute. And we would expect, and we'd say, Hey, they're fluent, but they couldn't tell you a lick of what they just read. And, And in the same breath, we'd have students who could read maybe 80 words in a minute, well short of that 120, uh, word, limit that they're expected to do, but they could make inferences and conjectures far beyond what the text would ever tell them. Now, in, in the realm of being fluent, we would say the student who can read 80 words in a minute isn't fluent, but their comprehension is, is outstanding. So if we take that and we apply that same understanding of, of fluency, fluency can't just be about speed and, and, and just quick recall. There has to be some level of understanding that's taking place there. So when we look at building fluency in, in, in a math classroom, like we have kids who know their facts and know algorithms and they know those procedures and they can get through them really, really quickly, but they might not be able to think their way out of a paper bag. Like I think about kids who are like, hey, uh, Mr. Fletch, if you tell me, is, is this multiplication or division? If you tell me, I can figure it out. And, and I start thinking about that, but wait a minute, that's the figuring out part of the math, right? And so fluency has to be so much more than just that quick speed and recall. It needs to be fluency with understanding. So I think that shift and supporting teachers in that shift is one of the big ones. So even thinking about how we define fluency um, definitely help look at how we approach fluency as a whole. What is something that you think that we should stop doing when we're thinking about fluency and kind of approaching it? Yeah, I think for me, one of the things that's kind of like a low-hanging fruit question, I think one of the things that we can stop immediately comes to mind is is time tests. Uh, I, I think about just the anxiety that's pressed upon students when they're asked to work through 60 problems in 60 seconds. Uh, there's a, a high level of anxiety that that can happen there. Now, 
students need to be able to work through and know their facts, but the emphasis of, of speed, well, we might only have like 25% of our kids that can actually work through those problems and, and get to those 60 problems in 60 minutes, in 60 seconds. But what about the other 75% of students that, that don't ever get to a a place to where they can finish that. And so now we have like third grade students who are leaving third grade thinking that they are no longer considered a math student or that they suck at math because they didn't get through the mad math minute or they didn't get the multiplication Sunday. So there can be some uh, long-term implications that can have a negative effect on students and just their they're just the way they see themselves as mathematicians moving forward. So students need opportunities to go ahead and practice um, building fluency, like once they have the strategies, but uh, time test is definitely not the way, but that's been something that's been so embedded into our practice as, as educators for so long. You know, you provide a lot of valuable insights and you touched on the difference between fluency and just memorization. And with that said, I want to give you like a quote that some teachers may say and get your feedback on it. So I hear many teachers say, I love using games and tasks with my students, but I don't have time. What recommendation do you have about the importance of finding time to use games and how it can help students conceptually understand the math? So for me, it is thinking about it through a lens of intentionality and purposefulness. Um, why are you using the games? And, and, and for me, games are probably one of the best ways to go ahead and give students that intentional, purposeful practice to go ahead and build the strat to, to basically build fluency in the strategies that they're developing. Uh, a lot of the times I, I would think about the games that we typically use in our classrooms are like dice generated worksheets. So it would turns into whack-a-mole with our kids. Like they're not very engaging games where it's roll two dice, cover the sum, roll two dice, cover the product. Well, that game's going to stink for, for you and me as adults. And if we're not going to be on task, we should expect the same for students. So even thinking about the games that we use to where what would happen if students would roll two dice and they had to choose what dice they used. So now there's more of a strategy there. And one of the things that I love doing is I'm using games as a way to build purposeful practice, but it's also one of the best opportunities that we have to actually assess students. Uh, because when you're using a quality game where there's a strategy uh, embedded within the practice, you don't have to go one versus one anymore. You can go two kids versus two kids. And because there's a strategy that needs to take place, students are going to confer with their elbow buddy, their partner, before they actually make that move. And as kids are talking with those games and they're talking about that strategy, that allows me to sit on a wire behind them and listen to the conversations that they're having, which is a great opportunity to formatively assess. And I would much rather listen to two kids strategize during a game or play a game against me at the back table than ever coming back and using those mad math minutes. So if you're looking for something that you can do away with, do away with the mad math minutes, but then also go ahead and, and slide the games in there, but using them through a lens of, uh, of, of purposeful practice and assessment. So would you recommend using like an observational assessment tool to kind of record that the formative assessment data then that they're collecting? 
from the student. Heck yeah, spot spot on. So it could be as easy as, as just jumping in like Microsoft Word and and going ahead and, and printing out like just a gridded paper of like three by three grid um, and then a three by three grid on the back or a three by four grid. Each grid has a student's name. And just throughout the week, I'm adding little notes as we're playing through those games. And then maybe I'll say, I don't need to meet with a student because I see that they're, they're really fluent with their make a 10 strategy. But then if I see that some students are kind of uh, struggling with that make a 10 strategy, that might be a, an opportunity for me to say, okay, I need to make sure that I conference with that student tomorrow, pull them back in just a little bit more intentionality uh, in terms of that practice. But yeah, I think that's, that's great. That formative and diagnostic assessment. All right. I'm going to follow up with a question of whether it is always going to be, whether the teacher is always going to be expected to be solely in an observation kind of situation, or is there ever a time that you feel is appropriate for teachers to kind of jump in there a little bit with maybe like an open question to kind of lead them down the right path or get them to think deeper? Well, I, I think, I think when you're listening to kids and they're playing those games, like if, say, if you're playing a game to where you've got a role and you can either double the die, you can double and add one or double and subtract one and kids are trying to make a connect four, well, before students actually jump in and make the roll, I might have that intentional conversation with them like, hey, what number are you trying to cover? What might you need to cover and apply? What strategy would you need to apply to that die before you go ahead and, and, um, and, and, and roll? So that way you can see that kids are really internalizing and they're doing more fact practice or more fluency practice because there's multiple strategies that can be applied. So absolutely having those those questions of front end loading what they might want to roll. So now they start thinking of if this, then that. How can we develop coherent pathways when it comes to fluency when teaching mathematics? Ooh, coherence. That's a that's a, a, a tough onion to unpack. Uh, but I think a lot of it, like there's so much um like in terms of resources. So a lot of the times what happens is, is we pull a resource and pull from a resource and pull from a resource and we miss the through line, we lose that coherence. So I think being intentional of seeing how things connect from the day to day, uh, also thinking about how typically when we talk about strategy and fluency, it's broken down into such a granular level to where like Monday we do make a 10, Tuesday we do doubles, Wednesday we do near doubles. And then Monday we talk about unicorns, Tuesday, we talk about toy cars. Wednesday, we talk about hats. Like we're jumping all over the place between strategies and different contexts that we tend to lose students in that moment because students are grappling with the context that they never really get at the strategy and the math understandings, the relational understandings that we want them to get at. So trying to find that through line. And I think a lot of the times teaching through context is is, is a way that we can, and, and just teaching through context is a way that we can find a through line that students can now make multiple connections as opposed to just making it uh, more of like a salad bowl where everything kind of piecemealed together, kind of making, finding that through line. So I think the coherence part of it and being intentional with that is a big piece. Well, I just want to say that I'm hoping that our listeners are kind of taking down these notes and are kind of in a situation where they can think openly about the advice that you just gave it was basically so nice, of course, to talk with you today. And I really do hope our listeners are able to take what you say, to apply it in their classrooms. And I wanted to say thank you for sharing the insights that you had on my three topics about how we can do things differently when we're teaching mathematics and considering fluency. Absolutely. My pleasure. And thanks for hosting. I had a blast. Thanks, Graham. All right, Walter, back to you. 
That's all the time we have for today. Many thanks to our guests for joining us. Be sure to subscribe to the Fresh Ideas for Teaching podcast. Until next time. The Fresh Ideas for Teaching podcast is presented by Savvis Learning Company, a next-generation learning company providing award-winning solutions for grades pre-K through 12. Visit savvis.com today to request pre-K through 12 curriculum samples for your school or district, and you can keep the conversation going by following us on social media at Savvis Learning.